0: samuel chapter 18 we'll get through the whole chapter uh tonight um if you don't have a bible um if you just raise your hand real quick and we can just put a bible in your hand so you can follow along it'll just be easier to uh to hear me but if you're good you don't need a bible great let's pray lord thank you for your word pray that your spirit would move in our hearts and power God. that we would um just be able to to see you uh see your favor god uh in this text um Lord, that uh, we would understand that on some level, uh, Lord, but we would also um, see what you're trying to teach us through the person of Saul. As we, we look at positive characteristics of you and David and, and some negative ones of Saul, Lord, I pray that you would teach us through uh, through all these things. So we ask for your spirit to move in power. In your name, amen. All right. Um, so the last... Uh, a couple weeks, we went through First Samuel chapter 17. It's the famous story of David and Goliath. We broke that down. Uh, basically, uh, we did two teachings, same title, Conquering Giants. And what we ultimately learned is that we're not the conqueror of giants. Uh, Jesus is the conqueror of giants. And just as God sent David as a savior to the Israelites, uh, God sent Jesus as a savior to the entire world. Now, because he conquered, we get to share in his victory, right? We discuss that quite a bit in the different kinds of things that the giants uh, will use, the different tactics, and uh, basically we define giants as, as anything that that overwhelms us, that we look at and we say, that is bigger than me. So with The victory that we share in, that we get to partake in, because of Christ, we truly can be victorious over giants in our life. Now... We see a lot of awesome character qualities in David, a lot of them very similar uh, to Jesus. David, once again, he's a type of Christ. He's not Christ. He's a type of Christ. So we'll see different character qualities and even different parts of, of his story that directly connect to things that happen uh that we see happen in Jesus' life uh, his life through the gospels. Now, one thing in connection with this chapter um that i want to point out is in the last chapter you remember Saul tried to to give David his armor because Saul was thinking what he was looking at the outward appearance and assuming that David needed his armor Saul's armor to be able to defeat this giant and David put it on and he says this doesn't work this doesn't fit uh, i can't fight like this and we see David right off the bat he knew he wasn't to uh fill um, Saul's shoes. He was supposed to be someone different, a different type of king. He was content in who he was. He was content in his identity in God, his identity in Yahweh. Now we're going to kind of see the opposite of that uh, in this chapter specifically. Saul, he's discontent in his identity, okay? And, and he's looking at David And he has this jealousy and he wants to be like David so much so that he's going to try to kill David. It's almost as if Saul wants to wear David's armor, if you will. But we'll also see throughout this text, God's favor on David through many forms. Okay. Uh, So the title of this teaching is Yahweh's favor and man's jealousy. Yahweh's favor and man's jealousy. So in this text, In this chapter, you'll see David's success mentioned four times, okay? David's success mentioned four times. The author is trying to tell us that David was successful because God's favor on his life. We also see love mentioned six times, and every time David is the object of the love, okay? People love David. This was also a sign of God's favor on David's life. He's successful Because the God, he's loved by both man and God. So we're going to look at that, the favor on David's life. But we'll also look at the jealousy of Saul. Because Saul ultimately was jealous of David's success. He was jealous because everybody loved David. And he was jealous that God had favor on his life. So let's dive into the text. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. It says now when he had finished speaking to Saul the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul Now Jonathan likely overheard the conversation that David had with Saul what are they talking about well primarily the event that just happened in the last chapter uh, how he defeated Goliath and and he 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 Jonathan likely hears David saying all these things talking about how God gave him the victory and all all this stuff. He's exalting God. He's talking God up just like he was in first Samuel chapter 17. And Jonathan's like, man, I love this guy. He loves Yahweh just like I love Yahweh. So we see God's favor in first Samuel chapter 17 on David, giving him the ability to defeat this giant. But because God had favor on David, David also gained favor with man. This is the first point. God's favor leads to man's favor. God's favor leads to man's favor. I'll explain this. But we also see this uh, actually uh, written out in 1 Samuel chapter 2. If you guys remember way back, speaking of Samuel as he grew up, it says this. 1 Samuel chapter 2 verse 26. And the child grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. He grew in favor with God. He also grew in favor with men. Now this does not mean, as I make this point, this does not mean that if you're if you're really walking with the Lord and, and, and God bestows that grace, that unearned, unmerited favor, doesn't mean that everybody's gonna like you, okay? That's not what that means at all. But it does mean this. When, when we're in right relationship with the Lord, we're walking with the Lord. God has favor on our life. We're going to attract the right people. Okay. We're going to attract people that are like-minded. Okay. Saul doesn't have favor on David, but Jonathan certainly does. So when we have favor with God, we'll have favor with the right men and women to be uh, more clear about that. See, Jonathan, He he saw God's favor on David's life. And it led him to have favor on David's life as well. And they they became great friends. One of the best relationships that we see uh, throughout the entire Bible, this friendship uh, was, was very unique. And the Bible speaks about friendships like this in Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs chapter 18 Verse 24, a man who has friends must himself be friendly. Oh, wow, right? (laughs) If you want friends, you better be friendly. I'm, I'm talking about the second part of this. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother there's a friend, there's a spiritual friend or a spiritual brother and sister that we can be closer to than even our own blood. That doesn't mean that we're not supposed to be close with our blood relatives, but what it does mean is that when we're united in Christ, there's a tighter bond there. There's seriously a tighter bond when we have that relationship with the Lord and we both see the Lord in the same light and have the same mind. There's a tight bond that can happen. Do you have brothers and sisters like this or spiritual friends like this that you're that close to that you would say, man, like we just click, we just connect. And the thing that brings us together is our mutual love for God. This is exactly the relationship that Jonathan had with David. And it was because they were like-minded. They both loved God. I think it's really important for us To have friends like this At least a few And they're sometimes hard to find But I know some Here in this church If you're like I need a friend like that I'll point you in the right direction I'll be your friend like that Okay uh, But in all sincerity There's plenty of people in this church that, that would love to be friends with you On that level Because they love the Lord And because you love the Lord And they can help you in your walk With the Lord You can help each other Iron Sharpening iron And if you don't have a friend like that then you got to ask yourself a question am I a friend like that if you want friends like that you got to be a friend like that that's just how it works just as the proverb says if you want to be friendly or if you want to make friends you got to be friendly so if we want friends like this we got to be friends like this and what does this look like essentially it's holding others in higher esteem than yourself it's it's truly considering their walk at least as equal to if not greater than your own you're genu- genuinely concerned for them you don't just ask them how they're doing because that's what people say you really want to know you pray for them you're in fellowship with them this is the kind of relationship that Jonathan and David had first Samuel chapter 18 verse 2 Saul took him that day and would not let him go home to his father's house anymore. Saul. He has a problem holding on to things, okay? Earlier in 1 Samuel chapter 15, it was the kingdom, right? And Samuel told him, "God has rejected you. You will no longer be king." And what does he do? He grabs his robe and 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 the piece of cloth tears from his hand and Saul or Samuel gives him an illustration. Uh, this is basically what's going to happen with you in the kingdom. God has ripped it out of your hands. You're holding this thing with t- such a tight grip. You think this belongs to you, but it's belong to God all along. Now he's doing it with David. He won't let him go home to see his family. He's holding him tightly. We see this character quality of Saul that he holds things so tight. He pretends as if these things are his. But but they're all the Lord's. The kingdom's the Lord's. David's the Lord's. Everything in this world is ultimately God, so he asks us to hold things with an open palm. Even our family members, our children, wives, husbands, brothers, sisters, it's all with an open palm. The Lord can give and the Lord can take away, but once we start gripping on to things as if we possess them as if they're ours, we can expect the Lord to start ripping those things out of our hand, just like he did with Saul and the kingdom. It goes on. First Samuel, chapter 18, verse three. Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. They make this covenant, okay? They make this covenant, this covenant relationship, this commitment to each other that's rooted once again in their mutual love and respect for God. And it says Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Think about how much you love yourself, okay? And you might say, well, I don't really love myself. Uh, let's, let's look at the action word of love. How much do you take care of yourself? How much time do you spend thinking about yourself? OK, think about that. How much time do you spend thinking about yourself, taking care of yourself? You know, you probably take a shower every day, hopefully. Um, you might not have those friends that stick closer to brothers if you don't. But but you spend so much time working on yourself, doing what you want to do. It says Jonathan loved him as his own soul. He loved him as much as himself. Like that's serious. But that's the love that God calls us to have for each other. So look what he does. This is important. In verse 4, he took off the robe, Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. What's he doing? This is a symbol. He's essentially passing over the kingdom to David, okay? He's passing off the kingdom to him, right? Jonathan technically would be the 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 guy next in line to be king right his uh his dad is the king right now son should be king now we know that's not going to happen because god has already rejected saul but despite all that jonathan looks at david and you recognize this guy's going to be the next king i don't know how he knows that but him being like the the prince in line to be king he's literally Passing it off to David. He recognizes God's favor on his life. He goes, this guy deserves to be king. Jonathan wasn't trying to hold on his, to his position like his father. He freely gave it to David. See, the opposite was Saul and Jonathan. Saul holding on to things with a clenched fist. Jonathan, it's not mine. Take it. Take it. He knew the kingdom was the Lord's. It wasn't something he was trying to hold on to. Also, David being a type of Christ, Jonathan displays a type of surrender. He gives the Messiah. David's not the Messiah, but for us, God calls us to forsake all. He calls us to give him all we got, our time, our talents, our treasure, surrender it in the Lord's hands. That's exactly the picture that we see with Jonathan and David. He wasn't trying to hold on to anything. He was giving it all to David. So we'll see that it won't be another 20 years, uh, till David actually becomes king. He's been anointed as king, but, uh, the, the, the position as king, uh, will come later. Knowing this, David being anointed as king, uh, he doesn't try to uh, make a plan or devise a plan to to get put in that position. He still gives it to the Lord Even though Jonathan has displayed this act Samuel anointed him with oil He waits for the perfect time whenever God sees fit to put him in that position as king it's kind of like when God told Abraham you're going to have a kid and it doesn't happen for 20 years later it's like really David he he just trusted the Lord he wasn't trying to make this thing happen for himself it goes on verse 5 so David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely and Saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants Point number two, God favors the wise. God favors the wise. Look what it says again. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. God favors the wise. Now, when we look at grace, it's unearned, unmerited favor from God. It's something that he freely gives each and every individual. But we also see different scriptures that when we... Do live a certain way. There's certain, uh, there's certain, certain blessings that, that are attached to that. And there are certain character qualities that God's specifically looking for. Wisdom is one of them. Let me show you. In Psalm chapter 53, in Psalm chapter 53, verse 2, it says, God looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there are any who understand who and who understand who seek him. That word understand is also translated as the word wisdom. OK, he's searching for those that are searching for him. He's searching for the wise wisdom in the Bible. A few different meanings. But basically, essentially, it's the application of knowledge. Okay, Knowledge is one thing. Wisdom is another. Knowledge is I know this, that, and the other. Wisdom is I know this, that, and the other, and I actually do it. <laughs> I, I do something with that. See, David knew what to do, and he did it, right? And, and one of the things that he did, how he walked in wisdom, specifically in this text, is he submitted to Saul. He did whatever Saul told him to do. He submitted to authority. Submitting to authority is walking in wisdom. In Romans chapter 13, if you want to write this down, Romans 13, uh, 1 and 2, I'll paraphrase it, uh, basically says that all authority has been placed by God. All authority. Even corrupt authority. Saul is a corrupt authority figure. People complain about Donald Trump. It's nothing compared to Saul's reign, okay? And Nero, when Paul wrote that in Romans chapter 13, verse 1. It doesn't matter if, if authority, if we, if we respect them or we look up to them. That's not the point. The point is God tells us to submit to them. We're called to submit to authority unless that authority asks us to sin. David was literally being obedient to a guy that we'll see in this text is trying to kill him, okay? So when we look at submission, it's like, well, I don't agree with what they did. That, it doesn't really matter. We can disagree with how people uh, lead, but the point is the Bible tells us to submit whether we agree or not. This is literally a man that's submitting to someone that's trying to kill him, and he continues to submit to him. So it says, David was placed, look at verse 5, and Saul set him over the men of war. David's obedience was rewarded. He was wise, he was obedient, and God ultimately exalted him. He was basically put in the position as general, okay? Over the entire army, that's what it would be like for us. He's basically the uh, the general of the army of Israel. And it says... He was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. He won the people over. Everybody loved David. This is going to be a problem for Saul here in a little bit. Look what happens. Verse 6, 1 Samuel chapter 6. Now it happened as they were... Sorry, I said chapter 6. 1 Samuel 18 verse 6. You knew what I meant. Now it happened as they were coming home when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistine. That the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing, dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women, the women sang as they danced and said, Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. Okay. Okay. This is like the the number one hit in Israel right now, right? Like <laughs> Saul has slain his thousands, but David is ten thousands, like David in this text he's like a modern day rock star okay really the The women love him, they're literally making songs about him they 're dancing for him he 's the most famous person in the land, okay now it's interesting about David, and we'll see this especially in this chapter but but continuing on through his life he's not moved by their praise okay david what we see is this character quality that he only cares what god thinks he doesn't care what man thinks remember in first samuel chapter 17 his brother eliab was dogging him he's like bro you're out here for the wrong reasons you're just trying to get somebody killed all these different things and then goliath right speaking down to david he wasn't moved by eliab he wasn't moved by goliath's ridicule and he's not moved by their praise it doesn't affect him this is also a character quality that we see in jesus remember we've been talking about it lately but when jesus entered jerusalem that last week during the triumphal entry what they say hosanna hosanna our king has come jesus is not moved he's not moved by the praise of men because he knew what was going to happen and then as they later on a few days later spit in his face, curse him, and ultimately crucify him. He's not moved by that either. His purpose is to uh, please God and not man. He's, he's not moved by slander or praise. And this is hard for us. In our nature, uh, we, we want to be liked by people. But the Bible calls us to seek to please God, not man. Whether you're slandered or whether you're encouraged Our identity isn't found in those things. It's simply not. Our identity is found in the Lord and who he calls us to be, who he says we are. And David knew that. I'm a son of God the Most High. I'm a son of Yahweh. It doesn't really matter what these people think about me. So, Specifically, Saul is slain as thousands and David is ten thousands. What are they saying? David is a much more effective warrior. Okay, ten times better if you want. Uh, (laughs) He's a way better warrior than Saul. Now, this is a problem for Saul. Why? Because he's known as a great warrior. We've seen his success throughout the Bible. Yes, it, it does a lot of damage to, to Saul's character because he does a lot of things that are dumb, but the Bible clearly tells us that Saul is a great warrior. He, he, gets, a, uh, a, he gets a lot of Philistines killed, if you will. So what's happening here is Saul's identity is threatened. Saul's identity is threatened. They're basically saying David is better than you. So look at how Saul responds here. Verse 8. Then Saul was very angry, and the saying displeased him, and he said... They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. It sounds so ridiculous. Now, what more can we have but the, what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Saul was angry. Why was he angry? Because he was jealous. Point number three. Jealousy makes you angry. Jealousy makes you angry. It's true. He was angry because he was threatened by David. His his identity was threatened. He's no longer the greatest warrior in the land. Now David is the greatest warrior in the land. In Proverbs chapter twenty seven. In Proverbs chapter twenty seven. Verse four says this. Wrath is cruel and anger a torrent, but who is able to stand before jealousy? They're putting jealousy even above anger and wrath. Jealousy is deadly. Jealousy, it kills us from the inside out. It like starts as this little thing and it grows and grows and grows just as other sins do. And its ultimate goal is to destroy us from the inside out. See, Saul, he was so focused on who David was that he lost who he was. He lost who he was. He was so concerned about who David was and who people thought David was that he lost who he was. He's not content with being a good warrior. He wants to be the best warrior. And because he's not the best, he's angry. It's not enough to kill thousands. If someone else is killing 10,000, it's like killing a thousand people. I've never killed one person. Okay. Hopefully that never happens. Killing a thousand people. That's a ton of people. That's still like, I mean, if, I don't want to say it's good, but, but as far as a warrior goes, like that's a, that's a pretty, uh, big accomplishment. Even, even in nowadays, killing thousands of people. But David, he killed ten thousands. Are you threatened? When you find that others are better than you at certain things, maybe it's like something that you're really good at, that you think like, man, I got this, like I'm good at, and then someone comes along and they're, they're better than you. Do, you. do you see that jealousy go up? Like, man, I thought I was the best in this, and, and now they're better than me? Does that jealousy stir up in your heart, or are you happy for the success of other people? Uh, are you happy when other people can be more successful than you are? That's a hard thing to do. We have this competitive nature, but that jealousy, just as we see with Saul, it will drive us to anger. Sometimes God will put people in our lives, just like he did with Saul. He'll put people in our lives that are better at certain things than we are. And Why does he do that? Because he wants us to know that we're not first. He wants us to know that, 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 that we aren't the best. There will always be someone better than you. The thing that you're the best at, there will always be someone better than you. And the Lord does this for a specific purpose. He wants you to learn to be second best. Can you learn to be second best? Or last even? Why? Because it teaches us how we're supposed to respond to Jesus. John the Baptist got this lesson in John chapter 1 verse 27. In John 1 27, he speaks of the Lord and he says, man, I'm not even worthy to loose his sandals. And feet were so dirty back then, even worse than now. I'm not even worthy uh, worthy to touch this guy's feet. And then in John chapter 3 verse 30, John 3.30, he says, he must increase and I must decrease. See, the Lord will put people in our lives that are better than us at certain areas to, to teach us how we're supposed to respond to Jesus. If we can't be second best to man, then we can't be second best to Christ. He's trying to humble us and get us over that jealousy thing. But Saul isn't having it. goes on, 1 Samuel chapter 18 Verse 10, and it happened on the next day that the distressing spirit from God came upon Saul and he prophesied inside the house. So David played music with his hand as at other times, but there was a spear in Saul's hand. And Saul cast the spear, for he said, I will pin David to the wall. But David escaped his presence twice. So this distressing spirit, which we've been introduced to for a few chapters now, it comes upon Saul. Now it says Saul prophesied, okay? But a more accurate translation of that uh, is idol um, idle ravings. Okay, he, he's literally like just babbling on nonsense. He's not actually prophesying in the text. When you look at the original Hebrew, sometimes that word is used uh, 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 for prophecy, but it's also used in this idle ravings term. So he essentially babbled on like a madman. His jealousy grew. His jealousy grew from anger to complete madness. And this is point number four. Jealousy drives you crazy. Jealousy drives you crazy. It literally drove Saul crazy. Is at a point that he was out of his mind? No, I'm not taking anything away from the spirit's influence, but now he's got the spirit, and now he's got this jealousy thing. He, he's rapidly declining. But jealousy it will, it will drive you crazy. Um, because it's it 's ultimately a sin and and essentially what you 're saying with jealousy is that what God gives me is not enough it 's not good enough whatever it, whether it be uh, uh, um, finances uh, job uh, house. Um, wife, husband, kids, whatever the case may be, when you look at others and you say, not only do I want that, but I deserve to have it, there's an issue there. We're saying, God, what you're giving me is not enough. And jealousy, uh, ultimately, it's rooted in entitlement. It's rooted in entitlement. We get jealous because we think we deserve something that we don't. We think we deserve what that other person. Why would God bless them like that? Why do they have all this? I deserve. Aren't I walking with the Lord? Like, aren't I praying? Aren't I loving Jesus? Why do they got it easier than me? Why do they appear to have it better than me? It's all rooted in entitlement. But we got to check ourselves there. There's really no room for entitlement. Why? What do we truly deserve? What do we deserve? For the wages of sin is death, okay? Every single one of us deserve death and eternity in hell. Anything better than that is God's grace, okay? So any, the fact that we're in this room right now alive is grace. It, it's it's just sheer grace. So when we get caught up thinking that we deserve something, that we obviously don't, yeah, that leads to, to jealousy, jealousy, and that leads to anger, and that leads ultimately to madness. When we remember... That we don't deserve anything, and anything other than hell and death is grace. That's when contentment is produced. And contentment is ultimately the cure to covetousness. Okay? Contentment is the cure to covetousness. In Philippians chapter 4, in Philippians chapter 4, Paul, while he's in prison, he's saying these things, okay? While he's in prison, he's writing this letter to the church of Philippi. And in Philippians chapter 4, verse 11, he says this, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. hear what he already says there? He said, I learned contentment. Meaning at one point, Paul didn't have it. He he had to learn contentment. And how did he learn it? Well, God took everything away from him. He he took his position. He took his pride. he, He took everything away from him. All his friends were literally out to kill him. All the other Pharisees. He had to lose everything to learn contentment. And, and he found contentment, not in what he had. He says, you know, I've learned to, to go without food. I've learned to uh, be fine with a lot of food because uh, my contentment isn't based on my circumstances. My contentment is based on my relationship with the Lord. When contentment is present, covetousness is absent. When we're content in what we have from God... There's no room for covetousness. I don't care what this person has or what that person has. I'm content with where God has me because I know he has me in the perfect spot with every single thing I need plus more. Saul is going crazy because he's so jealous and because of this distressing spirit. He's literally has a spear in his hand throws it at David to pin him to the wall. Back to 1 Samuel chapter 18. So David 's playing his music, and what would happen in the past when David plays his music? The spirit would leave him, right? David was like the best worship leader, like he 's helping him overcome the spiritual battle. Um, he was probably like Luke or something, uh, and Michael. And, and the spirit would come upon him, and then he'd play the worship music, and the spirit would depart from him but this time the music isn't working okay this time it's not working he's still driven mad by the spirit because it's not just the spirit again it's the jealousy he was so jealous of david that he tried to kill him this is also a picture of christ let me show you in mark chapter 15 in mark chapter 15 we see one of the reasons the religious leaders Wanted to kill Jesus is because they were jealous of him. We'll be talking about this soon on Sunday, actually. Mark chapter 15, verse 10. Says, for he knew, this is speaking of Pilate, Pilate knew, for he knew that the chief priest had handed him over because of Envy, it was because of envy, it was because of jealousy, it was because of covetousness. So we even see that picture with David. But David escaped his presence twice, it says in First Samuel chapter 18. So this happened more than once. And, I, and it's hard to kind of wrap your mind around. Like someone throws a spear at you and then you're going to sit back in the same spot and let it happen again. Like, oh, okay, yeah, I'm playing music. Let's pretend. And somebody just throws a spear at me or like I'm up here, let's say, teaching. If someone throws a spear at me. Oh, no problem. Like, I'm just going to keep going. And they got another spear in there. It's like crazy. Like, what was David thinking? Now, David was probably thinking that uh, the the throwing of the spear wasn't intentional and wasn't meant to kill him. He was just in his madness and he just launched it like he wasn't even trying to throw it at David. So David, he, he just goes back to worshiping uh, <laughs> and then it happens again. Uh, so David, we see he was able to dodge these spears, which is another important biblical principle. When someone throws spears at you, and a lot of times people will throw spears. When I say spears, I I may mean uh, uh, insults or they try to bash you with words or whatever the case may be. Not physical spears. Has anyone actually had a spear thrown at them before? I don't know. Not me. Uh, Anyways, but when I say spears, I I mean when, when people try to insult you, when they try to beat you down. And they do that a lot when they're jealous of you. This is what Saul's doing. He's trying to beat David down when he's, because he's jealous of him. But David, he doesn't pick up this spear and throw it back. Now remember, David's the anointed king. So this would give him the opportunity to take out the the present king and become king right then. He's not even thinking like that. What does he do? He just dodges the spears. He just takes it. He dodges it. He doesn't even try to fight back. Why? The battle is the Lord's and we'll see later on. He won't kill the Lord's anointed. He still has respect for Saul even though Saul is trying to kill him. First Samuel chapter 18. Verse 12. Now Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. Therefore Saul removed him from his presence and made him made him his captain over a thousand and he went out and came in before the people now god's favor isn't just evident to everyone else it's evident to saul it's even evident to his enemy saul sees it and that's another reason for his jealousy not only is he a better warrior but god's favor is on david's life he doesn't like it god's favor on david's life it literally disgusts saul so he removed him from his presence. He removed him from the kingdom and he had him um, lead armies of a thousand. Now, this we'll see later was because he was trying to get David killed. OK, it wasn't just because he didn't want to be around him anymore. He wanted David to be killed by the Philistines. Now, when it says this. <clears throat> verse 13 he went out and came in before the people. Uh, what the, the Hebrew expression is, is he went out, he had victory, and he came back. Okay? Victory is implied uh, with the phraseology there. Verse 14, and David behaved wisely in all his ways, and the Lord was with him. Therefore, when Saul saw that he behaved very wisely, he was afraid of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, because he went out and came in before them. So David, he continues to behave wisely in the midst of all of this. In the midst of his leader trying to kill him, in the midst of of going out to battle... Every so often, he continues to behave wisely, even when it's hard. Like, imagine this. Your leader's trying to kill you, and you're going off the war all the time. David still is behaving wisely. He's doing what he knows to do. He continues to honor the Lord, and Saul is so threatened by him. It literally says he's afraid of him. Not only is he afraid of him, because God's favor on his life, he sees the wisdom like, bro, I can't break this guy. Like, I cannot break this guy down. I can throw spears and he's still like, it's like he's smiling smiling in my face. Like, he, 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 he won't go away. This guy is impossible to kill. Verse 17. Then Saul said to David, Here is my older daughter Merib, I will give her to you as a wife, only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Now, if you remember, back in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 25, um, Saul promised that the man who destroyed Goliath, who killed Goliath, would get would be able to marry his daughter, right? So, So this was something that was already supposed to happen. This was part of the deal. Now, David wasn't doing this. He didn't kill Goliath so he could get a wife. He was doing it for the glory of God. So this is why this gets brought up. That was part of the conditions. That was part of the reward for killing Goliath. But we see his intentions... <clears throat> Saul's intentions, again, he says, for Saul thought, let my hand not be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. If I can't kill him, hopefully the Philistines can't. And we'll see this tie into um, the, his other daughter uh, and the dowry, how he's going to challenge him in a bit. You'll understand in a second. First Samuel chapter 18, verse 18. So David said to Saul, who am I and what is my life for my father's family in Israel? that I should be son-in-law to the king. Fifth point, God favors the humble. God favors the humble. He says, who am I? Like, think about this. Everybody's saying, (laughs) Saul's killed his thousands, David his 10,000s. He's literally the most famous person in the land. And he says, who am I? See, he was humble and God exalted him you want to write this down it's matthew chapter 23 verse 12 matthew 23 12 it says that god exalts the humble and humbles the exalted and we're going to see that god is going to exalt david the humble and he's going to humble um, saul the exalted because he's prideful okay david Though he's the most popular man in the land, he doesn't see himself as everyone else sees him. He doesn't see himself as the warrior that's captain and, and uh, general over the army. That's essentially Saul's right-hand man. The guy that's killed tens of thousands. The guy that was willing to fight the one that no one else would fight in beating Goliath. He still looks at himself as the little shepherd boy. He's just the shepherd boy. Like, who am I in my father's house? Like, he's thinking back to what I did at my father. This is, that's just who I am. I'm, I'm the same guy. Yeah, I got some opportunities now, but I'm the same guy back then. The same guy that used to uh, sing songs to God and worship God while I was tending my father's sheep. That's who I am. This stuff, these opportunities, they haven't changed me. I'm still this guy. He saw himself differently than everyone else saw him. He had a humble opinion about himself. You have a humble opinion about yourself. Now, the Bible says to be sober-minded and be sober-minded in the way that that we look at ourselves, the way that we view ourselves. Uh, In other words, we have to have realistic views of ourselves. Not too high, not too low. But if you're going to miss, better to miss low than high. But have a sober mind about who we are. Have a humble mind about who we are. The Lord often bestows favor on His children and and He'll give opportunities and and, and He'll give blessings and and He'll give a, a lot of good things... And we can get to a place where we think we had something to do with it, but it was really all God's favor all of, all along. Now, the point isn't to think of yourself as a little kid, but the point is to remember back where you were when God first called you. Yes, you've grown. Yes, you're different. God's done so much. But when we remember that, it leads us to that place of humility and dependence when we first came to the Lord. See, David, he doesn't see himself as this great king. He sees himself as a little shepherd boy. And not only that, he says, who am I and what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be son-in-law to the king? He still respects Saul. He likely at this point doesn't realize that Saul was trying to kill him. He probably thought it was just an outburst of madness with the distressing spirit. Okay, He still has respect for Saul, but he's going to find out soon enough that Saul was going to kill him. Now, <laughs> I don't know how I would feel about this if I was in David's shoes. Um, my future father-in-law tried to kill me, okay? And now he wants me to marry his daughter. I don't know how to feel. Uh, but again, uh, he probably didn't know at this point that Saul was trying to kill him. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 19. But it happened at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been driven to David, should have been given to David, and she was given to Adriel, the Meholothite, as a wife. So he gives the daughter to someone else. Now, why does he do this? We're not too sure. I personally believe that he's doing this to try to rile David up, to try to get under his skin. He's trying to bully him. He's trying to to get David to do something that he's going to regret. If he lashes out, or or if he speaks uh, uh, against me, or he commits treason, or something like that, then I can get. Then I have a reason to kill him. This wasn't because he had good intentions for David. This was because he 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 hated David. So he gave the the woman. Away. Imagine if you were engaged to a girl and her dad just said up. Oh. I'm sending them sending them to the next door neighbors. It's 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 not happening. Saul's a a hideous man. First Samuel, chapter 18, verse 20. Now, Michael, so Saul's daughter, loved David, and they told Saul and the thing pleased him. So Saul said, I will give her to him that she may be a snare to him, and that the hand of the Philistines may be against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall be my son-in-law today. And Saul commanded his servants, communicate with David secretly and say, look, the king has delight in you, and all his servants love you. Now, therefore, become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servant spoke those words in the hearing of David. And David said, does it seem to you a light thing to be a king's son-in-law, seeing I am a poor and lightly esteemed man? Now, I don't know why David is trusting him the second time, um, but, but he is. So the one daughter gets married off, but there's this other, other daughter that actually likes him. Now, it pleased Saul that she loved him. Why? Not because his daughter fell in love. It's because he's going to use this to set a snare to try. This pleased him. This is a way for me to have David killed. And we'll see the snare that's set. Now, it's actually like a two-part snare, which we'll see the dowry. He's going to uh, make him uh, get a 100 um circumcise a 100 philistines it's weird i know um anyways this is like a two-part snare uh the first one he hopes he dies getting the the dowry the the foreskins of the philistines but also Mikal um doesn't love the Lord like David does. So, so they're unequally yoked. And we'll see this play out later, um, I believe in 2 Samuel. Uh, but this was a snare in both ways. To have David killed, but this was, uh, and Saul probably didn't know this, but they were unequally yoked. And, and this was going to be a bad marriage. This wasn't going to be uh, a good marriage. We'll find out later on. They didn't have uh, as much love for the Lord as each other. David loved the Lord. Michal um, doesn't appear that she loved him very much first samuel chapter 18 verse 24 and the servants of saul told him saying in this manner david spoke then Saul said thus you shall say to David the king does not desire any dowry but 100 foreskins of the Philistines to take vengeance on the king's enemies but Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines so the dowry was the price that the groom paid for the bride okay um and usually sometimes it was in the form of like cattle or different livestock or, or some type of money some type of, of valuable good Uh, But Saul wants a 100 Philistine foreskins. Uh, Very interesting. Obviously, he's doing this because he wants David to die, attempting to get these. He doesn't think that he's able to do it. But this also speaks of the dishonesty of Saul. He shouldn't have had to pay a dowry, right? The, The dowry was essentially Goliath's head, okay? He already said, you can have my daughter when you kill Goliath. So him saying that David has to pay a dowry is really him going back on his word. David should not have to pay a dowry. He already earned his right. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 26. So when, the ser- when his servants told David these words, it pleased David well to become the king's son-in-law. Now the days had not expired. Therefore David arose and went, he and his men and killed 200 men of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins and they gave them in full count to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. Then Saul gave him a cow, his daughter, as a wife. David went the extra mile. Saul asked him to get 100 foreskins. He went and got 200 foreskins. That's who he is. But the only reason he was able to do this is because God's favor on his life, because God was protecting him. This is the sixth and final point. God's favor is displayed by protection. God's favor is displayed by protection. David likely didn't realize all the ways God was protecting him. It, it doesn't appear that he knew that uh, Saul was trying to kill him with those spears. There's no indication that he knew that, but God was protecting him then. Perhaps God was protecting him from Maren the Merib, uh, uh, his, his other other daughter. Uh, perhaps God was protecting him from that relationship because it would have even been worse. We certainly see God protecting him against the Philistines. David likely doesn't understand how much favor God has on his life and how he's trying to protect him from so many different things. See, sometimes we don't realize the extent of God's favor. Sometimes we don't see the things that God's protecting us from. I guarantee if we saw or maybe when when we get to heaven and we know, (laughs) there's probably so many different instances that God's hand was on our life just trying to protect us from something. But we don't even always oh, see it as protection sometimes we see it as 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 a hardship or as a trial it could be a closed door it could be a closed door with the relationship i'm sure there's people in this room that at least one point in their life had an individual that they thought they were going to marry they okay, maybe even prayed about it god shut that door and now you're married to the love of your life right it could be something like that it could be could be a a, a career path and i want to do this but but god's closing a door to get me to do something else it, Really could be anything in every opportunity. We don't always see how God's protecting us. We're often unaware of it. If we were aware of all the ways that God was protecting us, I guarantee we would be in such awe and so thankful. David, we see the evidence of God's protection, but David likely doesn't. In 2 Thessalonians, <clears throat> Almost done. Just getting ready to wrap it up. (laughs) Second Thessalonians chapter three, verse three. It says, but the Lord is faithful who is, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. The Lord protects us, not because we're faithful, but because he's faithful for his name's sake. He protects us. He's doing this for David, not just because he loves David, but he's doing this for his own name, namesake because he is faithful and he had David anointed as the next king of Israel. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 28. The Saul, Saul, Saul saw, there's a few of those in there, Saul saw, and knew <laughs> that the Lord was with David and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him. And Saul was still more afraid of David, so Saul became David's enemy continually. Then the princes of the Philistines went out to war, and so it was, whenever they went out, that David behaved more wisely than all the servants of Saul, so that his name became highly esteemed. So... It looks like, before we get into that section, maybe this is going to work. Eventually, David must be killed. Saul's plan should come, uh, uh, be accomplished at some point if David has to keep on uh, going to battle. But it actually, the opposite happens. As David goes out, he behaves more and more wisely. He's growing more and more by the challenges and trials that Saul's putting in his life. Because God's hand is on his life. And it says, last part of verse 30, so that his name, speaking of David, became highly exalted. Saul sought to make a name for himself and what did God do? He humbled him. David, he wasn't trying to make a name for himself. He says, who am I? And God exalted him. This is also a picture of Christ in Philippians chapter 2. This is what, Philippians chapter 2, we see the mind of Christ, and it says this Philippians 2. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus wasn't trying to make a name for himself, and though he was God, he wasn't trying to exalt himself, though he deserved to be exalted. And God the Father ultimately exalted him and, and has given him a name above every single name. We see that picture with David as well. He humbled himself, God exalted him. His name became highly esteemed. So the favor of God was evident, we see, in David's life. It'll continue to be evident in David's life. But Saul was jealous. Jealous of his wisdom, jealous of his humility, jealous of specifically the favor that the Lord had on his life. And this jealousy drove him mad. He lost sight. He's still the king. Like, it's not like Saul's having a bad life. He's not like, like uh, poor and begging on the streets. He's still the king. And he's so caught up with who David is, he loses who he is. And this can happen to us as well we can see what other people have and maybe they they got it going on better than we have or at least they appear to and and we want a family like they have and we want a relationship like they have and we want a job like they have and, and money like they have and even a relationship with the lord like they have but this jealousy once again it's rooted in entitlement in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 9 <clears throat> Paul had a conversation with Jesus. He had this thorn in his flesh. and Jesus said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. His grace is sufficient. Literally, God's unearned, unmerited favor. The fact that we get heaven, that's enough. That's where our contentment comes from. Our relationship with Christ and what he did for us that though we may have hard times here, we're going to have a perfect eternal life with Jesus Christ no matter what happens here. So when we look at jealousy and envy and covetousness, there's really no no room for it if we're content with the grace that he's already given to us. Jealousy, envy, covetousness, it says his grace isn't sufficient. But we know his grace is. Let's live like it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your favor God on your on your children. Lord, and and sometimes it's so obvious to everyone else and not obvious to us. As we see with David. God, we pray that you would continue to pour out your love, your grace, your favor on our lives, Lord, that we would acknowledge it, that we would even we would even see it. Lord, and and we wouldn't get caught up on how much favor you have on other people. Lord, we would be content with the favor that you have on us. We could say that your grace truly is sufficient, and it wouldn't just be something that we say. It'd be something that we walk in, that there would be no room for jealousy in our hearts. In your name, amen.